Hi, I'm Ann Wynn, Senior Associate Conference Producer with Cambridge Health Tech Institute. We're here for a podcast for the 2016 Leaders in Biobanking Congress, September 7th through 9th in Baltimore, Maryland. Today, we have two interviewees, Susan Earhart, Senior Director of Strategic Opportunities and Product Development at the Jackson Laboratory, and Dr. Jens Ruder, Medical Director of Translational Research with the EMMC Oncology Research Program at EMMC Cancer Care of Eastern Maine Medical Center. They'll be co-presenting a case study of their biobanker R&D partnership. Susie, Jens, thank you for both joining us. You're welcome. You're very welcome. Happy to do it. Can you each describe the genesis and resources of your respective programs? Those would be the Eastern Maine Medical Center, or EMMC Biobank, and the PDX Consortium at Jackson Laboratory. Jens, can you start with the EMMC Biobank? Yes, I'd be happy to do so. The Eastern Maine Medical Center Cancer Care is the oncology division of the Eastern Maine Medical Center, which is a large tertiary care center that serves the northern two-thirds of the state of Maine. And we are a large community oncology practice with 12 medical oncologists and four radiation oncologists, as well as a network of surgeons that does the primary surgery for us, including breast surgeons, thoracic surgeons, and general surgeons. We see about 1,800 new patients a year, and we are we have an active clinical trial program as well for these patients and the when the biobank idea started we realized that this would be a nice complementary program to our clinical trials program so we started in 2011 when the idea for us came up that we should be banking specimens from cancer surgeries but also consent patients so that we could track their clinical information their clinical outcomes that we would have a nice resource for collaborators such as the Jackson Lab, which is only about an hour down the road. And this has really thrived and grown into a collaboration with JAX on multiple levels, not just the PDX program, but also between individual scientists. And we have also established contacts with other academic partners as well as biotech startups to help them in the initial step of translational research. At this point, the Biobank is part of a translational research program which not only does tissue processing and biobanking, but also has a small research operation that is uh, grant-funded and um, also funded by a philanthropy event that happens once a year here that raises money for local research. The EMMC Biobank started collecting tumor specimens in 2011. We initially started this because we knew that there was a unique situation here in Maine, which is a very rural state and also a very old state with one of the highest cancer incidences in the country. And we decided that we should make these patients, at least that we should address the patients and ask them if they wanted to be part of a broader research program. And in order to do so, we approached them about tissue banking. We had patients that were identified to us by the surgeons who were going for a cancer surgery, and we went and asked them if they were willing to participate in a biobank, and the patients were usually very receptive and very enthusiastic about this. So we started collecting these tumor specimens with the goal of really allowing rural patients to more readily participate in translational research and to also help the research community around us, but also in the country. The resources of this biobank, the biobank is primarily funded by
by the Cancer Center. We have a few philanthropy grants that help us maintain it and sustain it and that help pay for the personnel costs that come with this. And it is one of the main goals of our research program to further promote this and to find additional collaborative partners, such as the Jackson Laboratory. And speaking of, Susie, how about Jackson Lab's PDX Consortium? Can you tell us a little bit about that? So the Jackson is, for those and actually many of the participants in your program may not be familiar with Jackson. So we are a private, independent genetics research institute that's located in Bar Harbor, Maine, and we're well over 80 years old now, and really from the outset, from our founding, the lab's focus has been on cancer research, cancer genetics research, all using mouse models of disease. So our historical strength is in mouse modeling and also in sort of providing to the external research community mouse models of that are just highly specialized and very focus on particular disease areas. In 2010, as part of trying to expand our resources that we were going to make available to the external community, we recognized an emerging need for better preclinical cancer models. And the need that was emerging was for tumor models that better reflected the genetic diversity of tumors that were in patients today. This is being primarily driven by then the emergence of targeted therapies. So the traditional NCI 60 cell lines provided some benefit in developing these new drugs, but it was clear pretty early on that they weren't going to have enough cell line models of the targeted tumor types that we needed to develop these drugs. So in working to fulfill what we call our resource mission, we determined that there was a need for patient-derived xenografts. Those are human tumors transplanted into mice and developed into propagatable tumors in animals. And while we have vast capacity and knowledge and skills for working with the mice, we had no patients. So we needed to reach out to the external community to form collaborations with clinical investigators who were interested in sort of joining into what is now a national effort to try to develop a publicly available library of patient-derived xenographs. There are roughly 20 members in the consortium today, and it goes up and down a little bit depending on what the projects are that we're working on. Eastern Maine Cancer Center was our second member of our patient-derived Xenograph consortium. So UC Davis was a founding, was the founding member, and that's partly because our location in California is where we developed the PDX models, and UC Davis is 45 minutes away. Eastern Maine was number two. We had an opportunity to sort of chat with them about their biobank and the program that we were working on in an effort to expand our ongoing conversations and development of research relationships with Eastern Maine, they quickly joined on and have actually become, I would say, the second largest contributor to the PDX Bank, second only to Houston Davis, and they are neck and neck as it relates to numbers of tumors provided and numbers of models created. So the way that we resource the PDX Bank here at Jack. It started out with internal funding. It still is primarily internally funded. We're now beginning to 
obtain NCI grants to help us support the program. It is quite an extensive undertaking to be able to put all the resources in place and then to develop and characterize the models so that people can understand which model to pick to try to do their research. You've both talked about the collaboration between your organizations, how and why it came to be. What would you say is unique about it, and how is it helping advance translational research? Susie? Well, so first of all, I want to give a plug for the biobank at Eastern Maine. As I mentioned, we have roughly 20 consortium members participating in our PDX program, and they are major cancer research centers. So the UC Davis Cancer Center, UC San Diego, MD Anderson... Yale, Vanderbilt, major research institutions all over the country. We've been able to obtain samples from Jens and his team, ship them across the country, and have a similar take rate uh, and success in creating models from the main patients as we do from UC Davis, which is 45 minutes away. I think that this is a testament to the commitment to collect good samples for the biobank, and a commitment of his team uh, to make sure that we have the patients that are consented for this process are the right patients, that the tumors are large enough, that they have a high enough tumor cellularity, and so on and so forth, so that we are able to successfully create these models. And then when I think about the question of how has this advanced our collaborations and and research in general, I think Ian touched on this just a moment ago, and it's a perfect example. We have had collaboration with one of our investigators here in Jackson who developed a novel therapeutic approach for cancer. He since spun out his company. It's now in Boston, and it's doing quite well. And the initial sort of relationship that we established with Eastern Maine around the patient-derived xenograph allowed us to build connections with scientists here in Bar Harbor. My colleague was able to obtain, uh, in this case, CLL samples to test out his new therapy. In the meantime, we're creating solid tumor models of a variety of different types, and it turns out that the therapy that he created is actually probably more effective in solid tumors than in the original target, which was CLL. And we're using patient PDX models derived from main patients now to test these new applications. So when you think about great research, right, and research that's going to move the dial for patients, You typically think of Boston, San Francisco, San Diego, so on and so forth. And I think that what the collaboration between Jackson and Eastern Maine shows is that great translational research can happen anywhere that you have a commitment to making that happen. Jens, is there anything else you'd like to share about this collaboration? Yes, I would 100% agree with what Susie said about how starting with one project that goes well and how one biobanking project can lead to another project which can then lead to a broader, very enthusiastic collaboration between two institutions. But also, it gives both institutions the opportunity to apply for additional funding and grow various aspects of the operation. So, for example, we have been able to secure a grant from the Maine Cancer Foundation this past year to expand our biobanking capacities in the state of Maine and to really open the opportunities up for patients from other practices and from other centers around the state to participate in the biobanking operation. And I think this is a very exciting time, really, because we're really growing from a very local, small tissue banking operation to 
another network of sites that are across the state. So I think this is a really exciting opportunity, and it's also, as Susie alluded to as well, there are additional biobanking requirements that we've come up with in trying to develop newer models, especially surrounding some of the newer cancer therapeutics, such as immunotherapy, and really trying to improve upon the disease models that we can use to study these diseases. And, and we really need to have the buy-in from patients and the support from patients to do this. And it's always really exciting to see how much patients are really willing to consider donating to this process and really participating in it. Finally, how do you think research with PDX models and biobank partnerships such as yours will or should evolve in the next decade to contribute further to preclinical drug development and patient care? Ian has actually just touched on an an important element of how PDX models are going to evolve, and that's in the area of immuno-oncology. So we, as you can imagine, when we originally created these, the thinking was that these would be used primarily for targeted therapies, what we were after with patients who either had or we identified through the PDX targetable mutation of some sort that could then be used to understand underlying mechanisms of response and resistance to these targeted therapies. With the recent explosion of immunotherapies in the clinic, we're now going to need to evolve the PDX platform in such a way as to allow us to test those agents as well. Jackson, as I mentioned at the beginning, has long been involved in creating advanced mouse models. And one of the areas of deep research, deep and long research here in the lab, is trying to establish um, mouse models that are ever more amenable to transplantation of human tissue. And with that, over the last years, we've established a specific mouse model, the, the shorthand for this is NSG, and I won't burden you with the longhand for it, but the bottom line is, is that it's the most engraftable mouse that's available today, and it also, in addition to and allowing the growth of the tumor, it allows us to reconstitute parts of the human immune system in the mouse. So we're actually now able to study human immunotherapeutic in a patient-derived tumor in a mouse. And that's hugely important in trying to advance the development of immunotherapies because as for all of these new drugs as they enter the market, you have good response in the beginning, but ultimately you do see emergence of resistance. Combinations are going to be just as important in this area as in the targeted therapeutics. Those are all questions that are best addressed in preclinical models rather than trying to tackle them head-on in patients. So that's where we see the PDX platform evolving. It's evolving by allowing us to look at the human immune response in a mouse model of a patient tumor. Jens, any final thoughts from your biobank perspective? Yes, my thoughts in that direction are that it is starting with a solid tumor specimen from a cancer surgery where there's usually a lot of tumor to implant in the mouse. And so enough material really to implant and to develop a model from it. I think the next steps are the more challenging ones. And Susie already alluded to the effort of building mice that have a human immune system, which is one particularly unique challenge. But I think others may include having smaller biopsy specimens from needle biopsies, for example, that may enable the 
PDX community to really work with models that are derived from a metastatic disease site rather than the primary tumor site. Others may include uh, circulating tumor cells that might be also even easier amenable to getting from a patient yet infinitely harder to implant because of the sheer number of cells. So these are all challenges that I think are very unique and what we can do as a biobanking community is we can think prospectively and think ahead and try to figure out how can we really capture a lot of information from cancer in the community by asking the right questions at the right time and by asking for permission to bank not only tumor specimens but perhaps also blood specimens and unique cases, perhaps even a bone marrow aspirate for research purposes. These are all things that I think we really need to think about ahead of time and create an infrastructure from a regulatory perspective that allows us to do that, but also create a culture of awareness in the community because the community buy-in is, I think, very important for this as well, especially if you're looking at a rural area where there's not a lot of migration from the outside and it's a very tightly knit community that really needs to be convinced sometimes that a new idea is the right way to go. Susie, did you also have any final thoughts you want to share? Yeah, I really like the way that Yen has tied the bow around this. I think that especially for the audience that we'll be speaking to, that this is what he spoke to is really critically important as the biobanking groups look to the future. And I can just add a sort of a technical testament to what he just said, is that the being able to create these models from surgical samples has some challenges, but it's certainly doable. Our overall establishment rate is like 35% of the tumors that we implant actually will grow in the mouth. There's many reasons why they don't. But one of the critical reasons that they don't is that you just don't have enough tumor cells. So when we think about going to needle biopsies, now it becomes much more challenging. And while there are ways to deal with that technically, they become more cumbersome and costly in trying to implement. Trying to create CDX models from circulating tumor cells is technically feasible. It's also technically challenging, and I think if the modeling community and the biobanking community can work on ways to optimize blood collection and storage for that purpose, it would be incredibly exciting because now we would be able to create these models from patients who are not candidates for biopsies or surgery, uh, but represent the most advanced disease. And that's, that's an area that's sorely missing in all of the patient-derived unigraphs collections. So we're not able to really study the highest unmet need group of patients that are out there in the, in the clinic. Well, thank you both. This, of course, is just a glimpse of what you've both been up to. So we're looking forward to hearing a lot more from both of you this fall on September 9th when you give your co-presentation. That's great. Look forward to it. We were just speaking with Susan Earhart of the Jackson Laboratory and Dr. Jens Ruder of Eastern Maine Medical Center. They'll be co-presenting during the session, PDX Models Represent Patients and Facilitate Research at the Leaders in Biobanking Congress, happening in Baltimore this September 7th through 9th. To learn more from them, go to www.healthtech.com biobanking for registration details and enter the key code podcast. This is Ann Wynn. Thank you for listening.